people need ordering principles. Twelve rules. Hello and welcome to Twelve Rules to What. This is a podcast about fascism, anti-fascism, and the far right. My name is Alex. Before we begin, I'd like to do a quick shout out to our friends over at Red Flare, who have finally, after many years, stopped just posting on Twitter and have got there themselves a brand new website. Um, so you can go check that out at redflare.info. There's a bunch of stuff on there already, including an exclusive reveal of the identity of the last mysterious TASOP host, uh, Euro or European, who has now had his full identity published online, so everyone knows what a disgusting Nazi he is. Now that Twitter is going to shit, um, I think it's a good idea to either subscribe to their newsletter or keep checking the website. Ripfler do kind of long-form undercover investigations that take a lot of time to complete, but when they do, they're always struck gold, they're always accurate, so keep them in mind and keep looking out for various stuff that comes out from them. Finally, a question I sometimes get through the podcast, and I'm sure Red Flare get a lot too, is how um, people can help them, help them out in their investigations. The best way to do that is just to start investigating on your own. There's loads of um, info out there about um, open source investigation, um, other kind of monitoring techniques um, to get yourself going. Um, it's often best to do it in a little group of people um, because oftentimes the material you're reviewing is not very pleasant to listen to. Once you get going, um, there's lots of useful information to find out. Um, you can always forward it on to Red Flare and, and let them know that you're investigating and they can be in contact with you. Otherwise, I would say that it is actually quite useful to listen to and consume far-right content just to understand where the movement is at, what the kind of tensions are between it and what the various kind of power dynamics within the movement itself. Oftentimes, we stress on this program that... Um, the far right is not a monolith. It's not like a, what, speaking with one voice, there are tensions within it. And it's oftentimes within these tensions that we can begin to understand where we need to focus our energy and attention and where we can like, and where we can push to start breaking these movements apart. Now, on with the show, we've got an interview with Milica, who's a lawyer with uh, an organization in Serbia called Click Active, who support and monitor, support migrants at who are crossing into the European Union and who are monitoring border violence externally from the EU's borders. And now, on with the show. And now I'm joined by Milicia Svarbik, who's a lawyer with Click Active, which is an organisation that does migra- uh, migrant solidarity and m- border monitoring. Uh, Milicia, how are you? Hello, thank you for having me. I'm doing well. I hope you are too. Yes, I'm doing very well. Um, so I'm presuming like a lot of, like, I've got quite an informed audience for this podcast on issues around migration, but um, I'm presuming a lot of people don't really know what Click Active does. So what kind of stuff does does the organization do? Mm-hmm. Uh, Click Active is a local organization from Serbia. We provide free legal and psychosocial support to people on the move, asylum seekers and refugees here in Serbia. Majority of our work is focused on informal settlements alongside the Serbia North borders, which are at the same time EU external borders. At the moment, there is uh, more than 35 such informal settlements. Uh, Around 25 of them are currently active. 
So on a weekly basis, we visit these places where we provide uh, legal and psychosocial support to people on the move. But we also do uh, sort of monitoring of the EU external borders and we collect testimonies about pushbacks uh, from the EU territory. And just give us a sense of um, who these people are who are moving and, and trying to get into the EU, like... Um, from your like recording and and work solidarity work, um, who are these people? Uh, vast majority of them. Um, when I say vast majority, that means almost ninety percent of the people are coming from Syria and Afghanistan. Um, most of them are single men, but we also have a lot of uh, families, women, unaccompanied children. Uh, during this year, our organization is registering quite significant increase uh, in numbers when it comes to unaccompanied minors, especially young children under the age of 14. Under the age of 14, wow, okay. Um, that's, I, I, I was, I'm kind of interested in these informal settlements. What do they kind of look like? Are they camps? Is it squats? What kind of, like, how are people living at these at the border? Mm-hmm. Uh, So these places are not uh, camps. Serbia has uh, migration camps, uh, 18 of them, across the territory of Serbia, which are run by the Commissariat for Refugees and Migration, which is a state institution. Uh, And then besides those official state-run camps, we have these informal settlements, the so-called squads, which are, uh, they started as self-organized places by refugees themselves. Unfortunately, over the last couple of years, they are run by smugglers and smuggling groups. Uh, And they are usually away from the urban area. So it's usually um, abandoned factories, tents in the forest, abandoned houses, so different type of places which are uh, away from the site of local population uh, who tends to, to have this anti-migrant uh, narrative. And uh, as I said, smuggler, smugglers and smuggling networks are operating uh, these informal settlements. They provide people with accommodation, uh, but people there don't really have... Um, freedom to decide for on their own where will they go what will they do whether or not that they will go to the official camps and so on yeah one of the kind of big talking points in the uk talking about our own border crossings is is a kind of a like they, a lot of the right wing like to talk about a crackdown on people smuggling mm-hmm. and you know casting it as incredibly like kind of criminal enterprise and of course it is you know like smugglers are not it's not necess- not they're not great people or they're not like um they're not doing they're not doing their they're not they're not they're not operating out of the goodness of their hearts you know this is a commercial enterprise and oftentimes people are are putting themselves at at, at these people's mercy um so i guess how do you, how is that relationship between you and and the, the people running these squats Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I, ha- I mean, I completely agree with you, uh, but I have to say that um, especially far-right politicians, they're constantly talking about the smugglers and smuggling networks and how we have to crack on these uh, criminal yeah. groups. And for sure that they are very dangerous um, criminal groups, but it's very important to say 
that uh, smugglers exist and they are this strong only because of the border fortification, only because of this um, border protection. The more EU is trying to protect its borders, the more power it gives to, to the smugglers and smuggling networks. Um, people are paying up to 6,000 euros to go from Serbia to Vienna, so only to cross wow. through, through Hungary. And that's a price per person, which is a huge amount of money. And then um, this also brings not just smugglers are not used anymore just uh, as people who will help you to cross the border, but instead refugees now completely depend on smugglers. Here in Serbia, we have a constant police actions. We have Frontex here, foreign police forces, and so on, which is uh, forcing people to turn to smugglers. We have pushbacks from Serbia back to Bulgaria, back to North Macedonia. Um, we have police violence on the territory of Serbia. But all of that is done under the discourse that this is uh, migration management and that this is how... Serbia is protecting its own borders and the external borders of the EU as a reliable partner. But in fact, uh, all of these actions are just pushing people towards the smugglers and give smugglers more, more power. Um, so now the smuggling business is not just about crossing the border, but people also, they spend sometimes several months or several several years even in Serbia. And during that time, they completely depend on smugglers. So then now we also see the increase in human trafficking, uh, very serious exploitation of refugees, sexual exploitation, labor exploitation, and so on. Yeah, I think I think it's, it's really good for people to keep in mind that there's right-wing politicians loved... Um, a lot of politicians love to talk up border fortification, increasing border security, and and but really that's kind of like an impossible goal. Like there's no way you can fully fortify a border that is the size of the EU border with you know you know across the whole of the EU, and 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 like you said, you know it only kind of drives underground or like further criminalizes a, a very kind of human impulse, which is to flee from danger and move to safety and, and safe areas. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with you about that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and your question, your your actual question was how um, how is our communication with, uh, with smuggling groups and networks? The smuggling networks are really that, they're networks. So it's very, uh, a lot of people are uh, involved in these, um, criminal operations. Very often people from refugee population are forced to work for smugglers in order to pay off their further journey. So they make these deals with smugglers. I will work for you for the following six months and then you will let me cross the border. Um, the problem is also before uh, we met a lot of people who were trying to cross the border on their own without paying smugglers. They will use Google Maps, uh, GPS, some tips and advice they got from other people who crossed before them. But now that became impossible. Uh, smuggling networks uh, and people from these networks, they're present alongside the whole border area. So if you try to cross the border on your own, 
uh, and you're caught by these smuggling uh, groups and networks, people are being punished for trying to cross the border. Very often this punishment is physical, it's quite uh, painful, it's also a way of marking people who tried, who dared to try to cross on their own. So people now really uh, completely depend on smugglers and they have to find this money to pay off their further journey. Those who don't have enough money, they're forced to work for smugglers for a couple of months, three months, six months, depending on the type of job they will be doing. So when we come to these informal settlements, very often there are uh, people who are forced to work uh, are the ones that we have um, the first communication um, people already know us, people on the move already know us in all of these, these locations, but usually we introduce ourselves and, um, then occasionally we have to negotiate a bit about the access, uh, to the informal settlements, but in majority of cases, we do have access to these places. And why is, is Serbia such a popular transit country into the EU? Like, is there a particular kind of legal um, setup or, you know, what, what's going on there? Uh, it's definitely only because it's a geographical position. Um, after the Taliban's took over, we see uh, a very significant increase in the uh, people on the move who are coming from Afghanistan and uh, Serbia is on their way towards the European Union. And also we have a very big uh, increase in the number of Syrian refugees um, especially people who stayed in Turkey for many, many years. And now, because Turkey changed its policy towards Syrian refugees, they started deporting them back to Syria, cancelling their residency in Turkey. So now we have this increase in the number of people who decided to leave Turkey and go towards the European Union in order to avoid deportations back to, back to their home country. So, yeah, we, we talked previously in, in previous episodes about the policing of the border between the EU and its external neighbours. And you mentioned before about how there's a mix of a mix of authorities within Serbia around the border. So there's Frontex, there's National Police, I suppose, and other foreign police. Mm-hmm. Um, how do these um, forces interact with each other to, to you know, create this border regime? Um... Well, yes, there, there is, of course, Serbia National Police. Then we have Frontex. We also have foreign police uh, officers who are here in Serbia. For some of them, uh, it's unclear on what grounds, whether or not they are working for Frontex, in fact, or if there are some bilateral agreements. We know of one uh, trilateral agreement between Serbia, Hungary and Austria, which was signed at the end of last year. Um, as a way, as, as a cooperation between these three countries, where it was said by uh, authorities of Austria and Hungary that uh, we need to externalize EU borders even further away. So it's not enough to guard just the border between Hungary and Serbia, but that instead we should guard the border between Serbia and North Macedonia and Serbia and Bulgaria. It seems, at least from the outside, that the corporation is um, functioning fine. Officially, Frontex here is, in a way, monitoring the the situation. Uh, They still don't have executive uh, powers. 
they can be on the ground only in cooperation with the Serbian police. Of course, it's unclear whether or not that's really the case on the ground. Uh, and also we know that together with this uh, new um, new plan for migration and asylum, with the whole new migration agenda of the EU, it's also planned for Frontex to sign new set of agreements with Western Balkan countries where Frontex will have uh, bigger executive powers. So we will see what the future will bring. Um, and finally, like on just on on your work more generally, I suppose the, um, the I think the monitoring work is something that I'm particularly interested in. And um, you know, obviously, the solidarity work and the the meeting people in these informal settlements is is the primary focus. Um, but you know, I think it's a really useful uh, project to be like recording and and communicating what is actually happening on the ground and what the nature of a pushback actually looks like. So I guess I'd like to know, like, how has the kind of pushback or like, what is a kind of typical um, example of like what a pushback would look look like? Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, uh, all pushbacks across the Balkan refugee route and in other, other routes towards Europe, they uh, look quite similar. Um, so people, they try to cross uh, the national borders from one country to another. Um, people usually because uh, they don't have passports, they don't have visas to travel legally to use public transportation. So then they cross the border on so-called green border. So away from the, the official border crossing point And instead they go towards the woods and hills and, and other uh, places they succeed in crossing the national border. So they are on the land of the the neighboring country where they're usually caught by the national police and foreign police forces who are guarding the border. Um, Very often the national police uses different technology in order to spot people and where they will cross. So they use drones, cameras, uh, different type of, of equipment can be found. Uh, very often people will try to apply for asylum. They will ask for protection and not to be returned to the previous country. However, these requests are uh, usually being ignored. Uh, People are very often being punished for trying to cross the border. So the police will uh, beat them, humiliate them, uh, destroy their personal belongings, uh, both things that have... um, some material value, like their phones, money, and so on, but they will also destroy their personal belongings that have sentimental uh, value. They will very often humiliate them in different ways, uh, stripping them naked, uh, urinating on them. Um, Different type of of humiliation tactics are being used. And then uh, people will be forced to go back to the uh, territory of the previous country. Very often they are forced uh, with the threat of using the guns um, uh, or with the the use of other uh, physical violence and physical actions. So after this, people are again brought to this green border, so in the middle of forest, woods, other places where there are no cameras, where nothing officially is happening, and they will be forced to go back. 
So that's practically how the, the average pushback looks like. They exist on all the borders between all countries alongside the Balkan refugee route. It just depends where uh, where the main route leads through which countries, and very often then the the police forces on that main route are the ones who are being uh, violent the most. So, for example, at the moment, from Serbia uh, towards the EU, there are four ways that people are using, four routes, from Serbia to Bosnia and then Croatia, Slovenia, and further on, from Serbia to Croatia directly, from Serbia to Hungary, and from Serbia to Romania. And majority of people are currently using the route through Hungary. So uh, at the moment, Hungarian police is the <coughs> sorry, Hungarian police is the most violent one. Okay, uh, I mean that's just you know it's, that's awful. <laughs> I don't really know what to say about that. To be honest, it's um, you know okay. Um, so just more speaking more generally now, I suppose, um, I guess like in most places, there's rising far-right sentiment and kind of at least, you know, across Europe, there's this kind of xenophobia against people on the move. Um, a lot of like politicians use it quite cynically to whip up votes and whip up anger to further their own electoral campaigns and, and further their own politics and political parties. Um, how does this kind of stuff manifest in Serbia? Uh, it it does definitely, as you said, migrations are being used uh, by all far right politicians and far right groups um, in order to to spread this uh, xenophobic uh, stories and narrative. Uh, Serbia is no different than than other countries. Our politicians also um, have this anti migrant narrative. Uh, very the, the area of migration is not being so heavily used like it is in other EU countries. What we can hear from our politicians here is this narrative that Serbia will not be a parking lot for migrants. Um, both the local community and the politicians, everybody is aware that Serbia is a transit country, so people will not stay here. And then there is no need for this narrative about people coming, staying, stealing our jobs and so on. Uh, but there is this fear that we will serve as uh, a buffer and dumping zone, as a parking lot, as a place where refugees will stay for a very long time because EU doesn't want them and they cannot go back to their countries. So very often this this narrative is being used by the politicians in Serbia. However, uh, some of the local far-right groups are heavily using this, this topic for their own uh, narrative and uh, popularity. Especially in 2020, it was very, very visible and very, very public. Um, during the state of COVID, during the state of emergency because of the COVID, uh, Serbia had a lockdown of three months. Uh, and during this time, some of the far-right groups were heavily using the, the question of migration, um, saying that COVID is not real, that this state of emergency and police curfew is not because of the virus, but because uh, Serbia has this secret agenda of settling migrants across Serbia. 
there was a Facebook group, uh, Stop the Settlement of Migrants, which gained some huge popularity of, I think, more than 300,000 people in just a few days where they were spreading this fake news, how uh, migrants, terrorists, Islamists from uh, different Muslim countries were brought to Serbia and how now they're settling uh, in abandoned houses and villages and cities across Serbia. Then also, consequently, we had this far-right group, uh, People's Patrol, who um, also gained quite big popularity. They organized uh, people patrols, in not first in Belgrade, but then also in other cities on the north, where they were intercepting uh, refugees on the streets, uh, threatening them, explaining them that they have to leave, that they're not welcome here, and so on. Um, okay. That uh, that makes a lot of sense, um, especially w- around the pandemic as well, because, of course, I guess a feature of far-right politics is to use any kind of lingering or like kind of latent anxiety within people in, generally, within society, and use whatever issue you can, you can find in order to stir up or further your own politics by stirring up hatred or, you know, other kind of stuff as well. So that, that makes a lot, lot of sense. Um, I guess I'd like to... Um, briefly cover what we can do, like um, both at the border and also, you know, where we are. This is mainly a UK, uh, a, a UK podcast. Um, we have listeners from around the world, though, of course. Um, so I just wondered. Obviously, a lot of these people who are on the move are facing a lot of uh, oppression, uh, violence on a day-to-day basis from from various different places, from authorities, from the smugglers, from the far right. And I wondered how can how can firstly how can people help here who 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 might be concerned about the situation mm-hmm. that people are in? Um, if we're talking about some um, solutions on the larger scale, that's definitely um, organizing and opening a humanitarian corridor for uh, refugees and people on the move. Uh, We know that this is possible. We had open borders for Syrians back in 2015. We we still have open borders for refugees from Ukraine. Um, So it's quite clear that this is not the matter of uh, capacity and that it's only a political will. So uh, advocating uh, for uh, such humanitarian corridors, open borders, is something that will definitely solve all of these problems. I know that this is um, a lot to ask, and it's very difficult to reach that that point. And unfortunately, uh, what we can see that all countries in, in Europe, not just European Union, but also but Europe as um, as a continent are moving, unfortunately, towards the far-right policies. And we see politicians from this uh, who who share this narrative to be uh, on power. What we can do as individuals and and local self-organized groups is definitely helping people on the move and refugees even in a daily life, helping in integration, helping people... um, finding their way around the system, finding their way once they reach 
um, the territory of UK or any other uh, country and trying to, to show solidarity uh, with them and, and the things they, they experience on the journey. Yeah. Um, kind of just finally on, on, on Serbia as a, as a particular place with its own particular history, um, I just wondered about the about how the historical legacy in Serbia kind of affects the, politi- the politics today. So we, of course, we've got the, the the breakup of Yugoslavia. We've got the the the, the kind of violence, the conflicts of the nineteen nineties, uh, Milosevic, um, and the uh, Kosovan War as well. Um, all have got this kind of, I guess, looming historical legacy uh, in the country. How does that shape far right politics within Serbia? Uh, definitely a lot. Uh, all of those uh, conflicts are still ongoing in a way. Um, Serbia during 2015, when there was an open borders through the Balkans, Serbian, uh, Serbian officials were constantly saying how uh, we had the experience of refugees in the 90s, meaning refugees from Croatia and Bosnia, and that Serbia is always very welcoming towards the refugees and that that will not change, that we will also welcome the refugees from Middle East and Africa, that we will never build the fences like other countries did and so on. However, what we see in the last couple of years is that that narrative uh, is not valid. Um, Serbia is also building a fence at the border with North Macedonia we expect another border to rise at the border with uh, Bulgaria. Refugees are de- definitely not welcomed in, in Serbia. Uh, Serbia is still Serbia still has collective centers where refugees from Croatia and Bosnia are living. So those are people who fled their homes back in 1995, and now it's. Um, 2023, and we still have collective centers uh, for refugees. And those people, um, they speak the same language, so they speak Serbian language. They didn't have issues of um, doing the nostrification of their uh, education degrees. Um, They had some friends, family, and so on. And still, for 30 years, they they cannot be integrated. The Serbian government cannot support them uh, properly. So that shows quite clearly that Serbia will not have um, neither capacities nor political will to integrate and to provide proper protection to refugees who are coming from Middle East and Africa. Uh, and finally, um, how can people find out more about your work? Where can they look? Uh, they can look on our uh, webpage, www.clickactive.org, or our Facebook page, where we also share uh, stories from the field. Thank you. Um, uh, that's it for me for today, for the interview. I don't think I've got any announcements, so I'll just say thank you very much, and thank you, Milica, for the interview. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for having me. It's going down, and you're invited for what they selling. We ain't buying. There is no running. There is no hiding. There's only fighting or dying. It's going down, and you're invited for what they selling. We ain't buying. There is no running. 
There is no hiding, there's only fighting or dying. It's Going Down is a digital community center from anarchist, anti-fascist, autonomous, anti-capitalist, and anti-colonial movements. Our mission is to provide an autonomous and resilient platform to publicize and promote revolutionary theory and action. Go to itsgoingdown.org for daily updates. Check out our online store for ways to donate and rate and follow us on iTunes if you like this podcast.